Welcome, everybody, to the June 2013 edition of the Learning to Lead podcast. This month, I had the privilege to sit down with Greg Peasley, who is the Senior Vice President and Chief Human Resources and Administrative Services Officer for UPMC. He is responsible for overseeing human resources, construction, real estate, and corporate security departments, as well as UPMC's captive insurance companies. After joining the company in 1987, Mr. Peasley served in a variety of senior leadership roles, including executive director of the University of Pittsburgh Physicians and chief financial officer of UPMC Montefiore and Eye and Ear Hospital. He currently serves on the board of directors of the University of Pittsburgh Physicians, UPMC Passive and Hospital, the UPMC Health Plan, the Community. Uh, Community College of Allegheny County, and the YMCA of Greater Pittsburgh. Graduating in 1982 with a degree from Duquesne University, Mr. Peasley began his career as a certified public accountant with Ernst & Young. It's quite a resume, and uh, it was an awesome privilege and uh, a great time to sit down with Greg and interview him. I think you'll really glean a lot of wisdom from this interview, so enjoy. Well, great, Greg. Thank you. Sure. Uh, thank you so much for taking your time to do this interview. Uh, let's just start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself, your family, uh, your passions, and what you do here at UPMC. Sure. sure. Uh, well, you know the name, Greg Peasley. I, as I said, as you were talking, Doug, I'm married to my high school sweetheart, Diane. Uh, started dating when we we're 15. We are blessed by the Lord with two children. We have a almost 24-year-old Erica who. Uh, left Pittsburgh and moved to L.A. last summer, so we're living bi-coastally with our daughter, and uh, my son is still here in Pittsburgh finishing up high school, Ryan, as well, so, um, you know, we've been blessed in so many different ways. I grew up here, you know, went to college here at Duquesne, I've worked at UPMC now for 25 years, and had the opportunity to do a lot of, a lot of different things, and provides me a lot of, you know, freedom to kind of express myself the way that uh, God, I think, has desired me to do so. Uh, I run human resources, construction, real estate, security, and all of our uh, business insurances, so all of our property insurance and directors and officers insurance and all of our malpractice insurance. We actually have some companies that are called captive insurance companies that, that I manage as well that, that manage a lot of our a lot of our insurance needs. And I've done a lot of different things during my 25, uh, 25 years here, kind of have grown up with UPMC. And we were, uh, you know, we were about, let's say, a $100 million organization when I joined, and we're now $10 billion, you know. And we have almost 60,000 employees now and um, a great organization that I think does uh, as much or more for this region as anybody else does. You know, we're the leader in terms of taking care of the poor and the indigent. And, you know, what what you don't read in the Post-Gazette is they yeah. always want to bash us is the fact that we're, we are large, right? We're 60% of the admissions of Allegheny County, you know, of the, of the inpatient work here, you know. And, but we provide 75% of the free care in the, in the low-income communities. We'll provide 75% of that care, you know, because we're, where we're located in the nature of our services with Children's and, and McGee and... You know, I'm, I'm blessed to have the opportunity to, you know, work in a leadership role in a in a such a large and, and you know kind of mission driven organization. We're not a, you know, though we have, you know, we have Mercy Hospital now, so and we have an old Presbyterian hospital. Um, 
you know, we're not a we're not a religious organization. We're not a religious denomination. We are, uh, you know, we're a secular organization. But a lot of what we do, I think, are the things that uh, Jesus would, would want us to do in, in taking care of the poor and taking care of the less fortunate as well. It's a tough business, though. You know, it's a very low margin business, and you know, does that. But uh, you know, being in Pittsburgh for the time has allowed me to. You know, not just express myself here at UPMC, but to be involved in leadership roles in the community. You know, we talked about you know Community College of Allegheny County as a service of vice chair and uh, senior leader on the YMCA's board, and and what we do at the Y is, you know, sometimes misunderstood in the you know some of the nice resourced communities. We do run gyms and try to make money there so we can support all the child care and the. Uh, workforce development and things that we do in the in the inner city, you know, in Homewood, in um, Hazelwood, in the Hill District, we are running programs that really are the lifebloods of those communities uh, as well. You know, many times partnering with the churches in those regions as well. You know, so my role here at UPMC has allowed me to um, kind of participate very actively in the in the community in many many forms. I've been very involved with uh, Imani Christian Academy as well. I don't know if you're familiar yeah, with Imani. Yeah, I've heard a lot of great things. Uh, I'm actually going back on to get more involved. I'm going to be on their advisory board. Um, you know, it's out in the East Hills, predominantly an African-American uh, Christian school, you know, uh, grade school through through high school. But really, I think, uh, you know, gives gives a lot of our kids in our, in our lower-income areas a, an opportunity to hear about the Lord on a daily basis, not just to show up at church on Saturday or Sunday and then go back into the neighborhoods and live a different life, but to, you know, daily be surrounded by people trying to live godly lives. Uh, we talked earlier about CLC, very involved with an organization called Christian Leadership Concepts, especially in the western Pennsylvania area, bringing uh, groups of guys together to, uh, you know, walk with the Lord and learn about what God wants from us as men, you know, what he wants from us in terms of our devotion to him, our devotion to our family, our devotion to our jobs. And uh, it's been a, you know, I've probably been involved with CLC for 12 years, leading my third group of 12 guys. Um, It's a program that I think uh, does things that I haven't seen in other Christian-based programs in terms of helping guys learn to walk with the Lord. So, you know, it's a, I consider myself a very blessed man. Yeah. You know, in so many ways. It sounds like it. So can you walk us through your leadership journey? You sure. Know, when you were at North Hills High sure. School, did you aspire to have a corner office on the 62nd floor? I did. I did. Wow. I also aspired to retire when I was 35. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't make that either. But, uh, yeah, I've... Um, uh, I've always been in leadership roles in, in high school and college. I was a president of my fraternity, uh, captain of a football team in high school. Um, I've always done things that uh, just leadership has come naturally to me. I, I'm not a, a person who <clears throat> I think I pay attention to leadership. I don't read a lot of leadership books. I think the, the most important leadership book I've ever read is the Bible and paying attention to how, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ takes 12 guys who who have no business uh, leading something, uh, leading a cause and, and turning them into life-changing uh, men. 
you know, I think is uh, being a servant leader is something that has always come very naturally to me. I, I've always considered that, you know, I work for the people who work for me. And my job is to make them successful. I mean, the reality of life is if I get things out of the way, give them direction, I'm responsive to them, and, and they're successful, ultimately the organization I'm working for, the cause I'm working for will, will be successful. Uh, I read a lot, uh, a lot of mostly Christian-type books. Um, not much. I'll, I'll read some science fiction when I'm on vacation. It's, a, it's kind of a, a break. I'm a guy that likes to lay in the beach and read. That's kind yeah. of my way of recharging. What are one of the one or two of the books that have impacted you the most? Um, uh, what's Chang's book? Um, and if you ever read, what's his first? That cheese. Terrible when you get old. You can't remember things. Uh, Forgotten God, great book about the Holy Spirit um, by a pastor in uh, Southern California. His last name's Chang. I think. Francis Chang. Francis Chang. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, I read his first book too. It was um, Crazy Love. Crazy Love. Yeah, yeah. Two, two great books. Um, I've read a lot of great books in CLC. I mean, I, I guess when I started my Christian walk, when I, when I think back, I, I was a kid who. Um, Let's see, my mother was raised Catholic and my father was raised Methodist. So I remember at my earliest ages, uh, occasionally going with mom, occasionally going with dad. They you know, went to separate churches. And I, there were five, five of us. I'm the second oldest of uh, four boys and then our, our baby sister. And somewhere along the line, they, I guess, decided to merge and we, became, we grew up Episcopalian. We went to Episcopal Church in the North Hills. And... Although my my real religious upbringing was, I could tell you every story in the Bible and you know every parable and talk about it, but it wasn't. We didn't live. We didn't live a. a it's not that we didn't live a godly life, but you know we went to church on Sunday and then that was it. And you, you know maybe other than saying a grace before dinner, there was there was no discussion about Christ about. God about anything that went on. So, I I was a knowledgeable uh, Bible knowledgeable person, but I wasn't a Christian. I didn't even know what it meant to be a Christian, and and I fell away later years in high school and in college as well. Uh, occasionally attended church, but it wasn't. I never deemed it important in my life. You know, I didn't actually understand. Um, and in fact, I think when I look back on it, I'm not sure that I actually believed God was real. I would have answered the question at every point in my life that I was a Christian. I'm sure I did. I probably answered, you know, I was a Christian. But I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian. I was not, um, it wasn't. It wasn't in my focus. It wasn't a part of it, uh, you know. Then, then, and my my wife had had a little more of a religious uh, upbringing than I did. She kind of fell off as well. Uh, and and of course, I always I find this the most interesting thing is then you have children, and all of a sudden you you take somebody who it's not important to you. All of a sudden now I got to go to church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I have a child. I have to go to church. The church child has to be baptized. Um, you know, so we started going to church, and not that it changed any of my beliefs. And I, I, I actually kind of find it interesting, yeah. You know, that so many of us do it that way. You know, and it really wasn't till I was at Orchard Hill Church when I started to hear about uh, 
you know, a personal relationship with God. So this would have been in my, you know, later 30s, yeah, you know, latter part of my, between 35 and 40. And at first when I heard it, didn't, I didn't know what the heck they were talking about. You know, how could you have a personal relationship with, with this guy that died 2,000 years ago, you know, you know and... Um, and, 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 and I was going through some problems in my life uh, at that time. had a great job, a great wife, uh, two young children, and I was a miserable person. I just, you, you know, had everything that the American dream would call for, a, a big position, a big salary, a, a wife who was gorgeous and wonderful, two great kids, a big house, all of those things, and I... I just wasn't happy, you know, because I had that big God-sized hole in me that we always talk about, the fact that I tried to fill it up with all these other things instead of filling it up with God. And I became, you know, interested and intrigued at Orchard Hill because, you know, here I'm at a church where, hey, this music's pretty good and, you know, the messages are good and they're resonating with me. And so I kind of started down a... An apologetics journey of of, of investigate uh, investigation and read you know the case for Christ and the case for faith and the case for Easter and the case for God all of all of those that whole series and um, you know more than a carpenter read that read uh, great book it's called I don't have enough faith to be an atheist you know and 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 it it, it just one day and with prayer prayer it clicked you know all of a sudden. You know, I went from being this guy who could have cared less about this aspect to a guy that suddenly realized, "Oh my God, I've been missing it my whole life." I, you know, God's been here and 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 trying to to be involved in my life, and I've just completely dismissed him through this, and uh, became very interesting to suddenly one day get that realization that. Yeah, there is a God. He's real, and look what He created, and look what look what it's all about Him, you know. And so the next fifteen years of my life have been, you know, that walk of of trying to, uh, you know, trying to become more Christ-like in everything I do. Fail miserably almost every single day, but I, I thank God every day for the changes that that He has made in me, and His, and His Holy Spirit has made in me, and. I know I am a different person than I was, wow. you know, at that time. So it's, uh, you know, again, only have God to thank for it all. You yeah. know, everything I have, God. You know, He gave me my wife, kept my wife with me when probably most people would have kicked my butt out. Yeah, he blessed me with two children. Has given me a great job. Uh, allowed me to, you know, and has given me faith. Yeah. You know, so it's. Uh, Can you take a minute and talk to the young leaders because. I love when you said, hey, I had the whole American dream, but I was still empty. I think a lot, Zig Ziglar said, you know, money's not everything, but everyone wants to find out for themselves. Oh. <laughs> and I think as young leaders, I mean, even myself, just got married, thinking about family. We would yeah. strive, 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 because, yeah. hey, once we get to that place of security, we have a house and our kids are okay. Right. We'll be right. okay. Right. Yeah. Can you but, talk uh, about that? Oh, absolutely, advice? absolutely. I mean, I, I look back on, you know, and you asked the question here about work-life balance, and this is yeah. where I think it really goes back. I I hope if I can impart any wisdom, it would be um, uh, 
get that right, you seek God's guidance in that work-life balance. I think, you know, to me, it's very clear that God wants us to be wor- to work. He wants us to be stewards. He created us. He knows, especially with us as men, He knows how impactful it is for us to feel that we're being productive and and, and what what comes from that. But, you know, I look back, I was so focused on advancing my career that I let other things slide. You know, and in terms of I, I would have argued with you the old quality, time, our only hope is in God. That, that, that God will provide, and He will. I, you know, now we might not like the way He provides because we're selfish and, and, and this and that, but God will, you know, if we seek Him, He will take care of us, and He'll take care of us in, in meeting our, our, our needs, not necessarily our desires. And I think that that's the best thing that, that God has done for me is He's helped me see that difference between what I need and what, what I desire. And, and many, so many times what you desire is the exact opposite of what you need. And, and in fact, this is probably not the right thing for you either. You know, so my, my comment to young leaders would be that, uh, you know, being a leader in an organization is great and being able to lead whatever you do. But, you know, leading in your family is much more important. Leading in your faith and in your church and in your, your know, parachurch or wherever you are is, is much more important. And that, you know, the rest of it will take care of itself. I think that, um, you know, money isn't going to buy you a better relationship with your spouse. It's not going to buy you a better relationship with your children. Um, you know, I think the... You know, the old adage, um, you know, uh, I can't remember how it's said, but, you know, money won't buy you happiness. Now, clearly, the lack of money can buy you unhappiness. <laughs> you, you know, being being poor is, is very difficult. But that, that difference between, you, you know, making a living that allows you to, you know, live in a nice house and be able to put your kids through school and those kind of things versus... Um, there's trade-offs, you, you, you know, when you, you know, people don't realize that being in a senior role comes at a price. You know, there are, there are demands on your time and demands on your, your person. You know, I could work 24-7, 365 days a year if I allowed it. I mean, it's just the nature of, of business today and everything that's going on and finding that balance that works. And I think, you know, your generation to a certain extent and, and the younger folks have a, have a better a better view on it than I think my generation did you, you know my generation you know we it would work work came first and and when there was a rub between work and your family your family lost you know work work won because you were going to dedicate your career where I, I, I see in so many of the more younger people now a little better sense of that a sense a better sense of that I want a work life balance right from the get go and I laud you and I applaud the the, the, the young leaders who, who recognize that because they're doing the right thing. I you know um, I put in my fridge years ago, you, you know, those that priority that you know and, and it's it's an overused thing but it does keep going back to remind us, you know, it's God, family, you know, exercise, work. And that doesn't mean that and and I and I actually can't stand when people start to think that, oh, well you're a Christian, you can't be a good worker. It doesn't mean you work hard. It doesn't mean you can be successful in the business world or in the medical field or in the sales field or whatever. 
No, it's we define success differently, clearly. But, you know, God wants us to be good workers, but he doesn't want us to devote so much of our time and energy and talents to that that we're left drained to do the more important things that he's called us, which is forming that relationship with him and his son and his Holy Spirit, having the right loving relationship with your family, taking care of yourself and taking care of your body, and then and then work. I, I, I always joke about the fact that I always... You know, work comes second because I start my day off with with prayer and exercise. Now I get up at quarter to five in the morning, and 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 so I'm I'm, I'm devoting those those things early. But I have found that's for me that's what works. You know, I'm a morning guy. I I, I have more energy in the morning, especially at 52 now. At the end of the day, after working out hard, going to work, doing all that, I'm ready to just kick back at the at the end of the day. So. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about how your faith affects your, your life here at work? I yeah. mean, you talked about you're not a Christian organization, but, I mean, do you try to, to influence others for Christ at work? Uh, how do you lead differently because of that, et cetera? Yeah, great question, Doug. I think, um, you know, it's an interesting, I think, a little bit of a dilemma for, for Christians in the business world that work in the secular world. I have never felt an issue with, um, acknowledging that I'm a Christian in the workplace. In fact, um, you talked about you know the articles about me in the, in the Pittsburgh Business Times mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. When I do employee groups where I'm introducing myself in, in a in a no, I'm just here. I'm Greg Peasley. When I'm actually talking about me, I will always note that I'm a Christian mm-hmm. because, and I find it interesting. I it's. It's the only way, if you want to understand me, you have to know that, if you don't. And I do find it interesting, in the workplace in particular, that makes people uncomfortable. And that's not my desire. It's not my desire to make an audience or a group of people uncomfortable from that. But Because I, I find it interesting, if I were to say that I was a Muslim, or I was Hindu, or I practiced Confucianism, whatever that is, but... Um, People would say, oh, that's why that person is like, you know, that doesn't bother people. But saying you're a Christian actually bothers people. And it took me years to really realize it's because most of them consider themselves Christians but could never talk about their faith in a public place. So that's actually what makes them them uncomfortable. No, I think there's other people that are, you know, against our Lord and Savior that, that have a different reason. Yeah, have you gotten any pushback from that? No, no. And, and again, uh, I pray about this a lot because I... I only desire not to offend God. You know, if I've got the choice of offending God or offending the people I'm with, I hope God wins in every in every circumstance. But on the other side, you know, we are in a secular world. I'm in a position, especially with human resources being part of mine. I don't evangelize in the workplace. I think people recognize that I'm a Christian. I talk about why I believe what I believe when I'm asked. I have Bible verses on my walls here, um, Bibles around the office. Uh, and, and, and people, what, what I love is that I must be doing something that God wants me because people will seek me out to ask questions. Yeah, 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 you know. So I'm not standing on a pulpit um, talking to them about uh, necessarily why I believe in Jesus Christ in the workplace, because that can be, you know, 
that can be deemed uh, a, a legal issue in our country, you, you know. But uh, people know what I believe, why I believe it, and, and they're comfortable in talking to me about that as well. You know, I work in an environment where my, you know, my boss is a non-believer. Hmm. Yeah, and, 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 and he and I have had many discussions about that, uh, about our difference, and, and it has not stopped us from developing a good working relationship, although we disagree 180 degrees on matters of faith and, and those kinds of things. That's great. I want to talk a little bit about talent, and then specifically when you're looking at young leaders, obviously your position, you're always looking for talent. What, sure. what are things you look for in young leaders or even people that you're thinking about yeah. promoting? Um, what are the key characteristics that one should look to develop as they grow? Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, I think we're no different than most organizations. I mean, you're looking for, you know, in our business in particular, and in many businesses, I mean, somebody has to be bright. And, and it just, you know, it's hard not to be a successful leader if you're if you're not smart. I don't mean you have to be a 4.0 from Carnegie Mellon or whatever, but you, you, you have to be a smart person. And you have to be passionate about what you're doing. You have to have a, a sense of drive and, 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 and you have to have good work ethics. You know, I mean, work you have to be very ethical and you have to have a strong work ethic as well. And that combination, uh, I am a person who cares actually less about in many jobs, prior experience in that particular area. Because here I am, an ex-accounting major, uh, certified public accountant, started here as a chief financial officer, uh, and have had so many other opportunities in my 25 years. There isn't a single thing that I run today, uh, that I manage today, that has anything to do with anything I've ever been traditionally trained about or anything that prior to doing it, I ever had any experience in doing it. You know, I was named the head of HR here 13 years ago, have no training or education in human resources, have never worked in human resources, and at the time was asked to lead an HR organization that was taking care of 30,000 employees at the time. And so I believe that if if we hire leaders who, who or staff who have those characteristics so they're bright, they're ethical, they're passionate, they're they're hardworking, they can do anything. We can train them the details of the business. Now, that doesn't mean that you can take somebody and suddenly say you're gonna go run a nursing unit, you know, who doesn't have a nursing degree and has no experience. I mean there are certain jobs that, that do require that, but those kind of um, attributes will lead to success in whatever field a, a person chooses. That's great. Talk a little bit about training. You you said 60,000 employees, you said? Yes. I'm just curious how you guys get the culture that you want developed spread throughout 60,000 people. I mean, what does that look like, training, development, getting the culture and the vision and the values in the people? Yeah, that's not easy. We're we're actually going through a whole values exercise that we're almost done with at our our leadership level that we're going to be rolling out. We have... I, I, we have multiple cultures at UPMC. I mean, because we are an organization that was formed primarily from the combination of of, of uh, prior institutions, many of which you've been around for many, many years, um, who joined together to become one organization. And then we've expanded businesses after that. But I think that uh, there there is a culture of excellence throughout UPMC. You know, we want to... <coughs> We're dealing with very important things, you know, um, 
uh, we're not making widgets that uh, that people buy that they use when they're on vacation. You know, we're 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 taking care of people's health. You know, we're 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 saving people's lives. We're we're saving people's um, abilities to uh, walk or talk or, or or see or hear and things that are just so near and dear to us or to each of us individually. So, I think there is without a doubt a culture throughout UPMC of of doing that in a way that continue continual improvement so that we because it's important to all of us who work here that we provide you know staff and facilities and experiences that are the kind that we would want for us and for our family uh, but it's a tough business I mean healthcare is a very low margin business and uh, although we are very large you know we are 10 billion dollars in revenue our, our profit is very very low and, and it's a, a very um, capital-intensive business as well. You know, we are constantly investing those meager profits back into our facilities. We spend 500 plus million dollars a year in capital, building new facilities, expanding old facilities, renovating facilities, new equipment, IT initiatives, um, all of those things. That um, you know, this business is going to get tougher. You know, with everything that's going on with insurance reform in the country and. Uh, there's some positives from a healthcare standpoint, but there's also a lot of negatives that are going to occur. And, and so we we are constantly looking at how can we provide a better experience for our patients, and, and therefore how can we provide a better experience for our, our, our associates or our employees as well. That's great. Last few questions, a little sure. more personal stuff. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about maybe one or two of your greatest leadership failures throughout your career um, and what you learned from them. Yeah, I would say uh, probably the first one that's going to sound odd was uh, you know, becoming president of my fraternity in college. <laughs> and uh, I had a very I had a local fraternity that I, that I belonged to. So it didn't have a national, you know, tie-in or whatever. And and over the years, I think it become very um, just laissez-faire in the way things were done. And and so I walked into that kind of organization, and I didn't know enough then about. So I, I knew nothing about delegation. So I I ended up um, to my own personal detriment, you know, doing everything you know that the fraternity needed, thinking that's what leadership was about was that. You know, if we were having a, a hoagie sale in the lobby, I was going to blow five hours of my night there to make sure that it was as successful as possible versus understanding, first of all, how do you select the people into other leadership roles? How do you uh, assign them, you know, authority and responsibility for those for those steps? So I, 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 our fraternity didn't fall apart. It didn't, but it, it clearly didn't run the way that it uh, that it should have run. Although I think I did make one really good decision, which was our our first my first meeting as president. Um, uh, you know, a, a a a portion of our budget, probably more significant, should have been obviously was for uh, alcohol and, and things like that. Um, a couple of the uh, brothers wanted to have. Um, Marijuana purchased out of the fraternity, oh, uh, uh, so I, I was successful in getting that motion uh, over, you know, uh, put put aside. <laughs> That's but, hilarious. Uh, but I, I, it really was a great learning experience for me about you know before I went to work and 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 got really involved in in a leadership role was to see where. I mean, I think failing is a great thing yeah. for us. Now, luckily, I, I, I'd love to at least my wife could probably answer this better than me. Uh, 
but I haven't had, I've been very, I don't really have any significant, we all fail, but I don't sure. have any significant failings. But that one clearly helped shape me because it made me really realize that this isn't the way you lead. So when you did know? you learn to delegate? Uh, very quickly. I, I probably <laughs> took my first management role at a small hospital when I left public accounting. Um, uh, and and had to delegate. You know, you know, I was I was 25 years old. And I became the chief financial officer of a of a hospital, and worked way too much back then. Back to my work life balance issues. You know, when I was working 14 hours a day, but recognized there was just too big of a job for one person to handle. And, and I think I've 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 learned over the years. Probably the biggest lesson I learned. I used to actually believe that through you know the the my leadership um, abilities i could actually take marginal leaders and make them good leaders and i don't know how long i believe that i now do not believe that i believe now that what i can do is i can take very good leaders and make them great leaders and create a team that can work together and do great things. Um, so this is going to sound interesting, but the getting the right people on the bus is so very important, is making those identifications up front of who has the leadership skills and the talents and the, and the, and the drive necessary. And, and doing it, and, and if you have to exit those people out who don't meet those requirements, doing it in a way that is uh, godly, you know, working with them. Because the reality is God doesn't want any of us to be in a role where we can't be successful. And and so that sometimes, you know, the Peter Principle, people get promoted, you know, past their capabilities as well. Every organization has done that at times. So, uh, yeah, just a couple more minutes, Mike. Two, two last questions. Sure. You got sure. time? Yeah. Where's Greg Peasley in 15 years, and what do you want your legacy oh, to be? I have no idea where Greg Peasley will be in 15 years because I hope I am waiting for the Lord to tell me, and he doesn't tell me where it is. Uh, uh, I, I, I have personal preferences from that standpoint. Number one is not to be working full time, but once again, uh, that'll be up to the Lord. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, it all depends on where my kids are from a physical standpoint. I I have not felt led to uh, become a missionary, as an example. But how do I know that at some point in time in the future yeah. that would be God's plan for me? I my desire 15 years from now is to be exactly where God wants me to be. That's great. What do you want to be remembered for? Uh, being a man who loves God. You know, the rest of this stuff is. Uh, in, in some ways, meaningless. I, you know, the thing that I, I find so interesting when people talk about their legacies and and what they want to be remembered for. Uh, my father died when I was 16. My father-in-law died when I was 20, uh, and, and I was dating my wife from the age of 15. So this gentleman uh, became a second father to me. I mean, this was not this was not just somebody I knew this was somebody who I loved and 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 so I experienced both of those at, at those time frames now that was 10 to 15 years before my kids were born so my kids never met a grandfather both of my grandfathers died 10 to 15 years before I was born so I've never had a grandfather now you think about the legacy I my own grandfathers never met the guys I've heard a couple little stories about them there's, uh, you know, so we, we, we 
people build monuments to themselves and all these things when the reality is our legacy on earth is meaningless yeah 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 you know, and, and so uh, the fact that I know nothing about my grandfathers and that my kids maybe know a little bit more about their grandfathers but still know very little because they never met them, never met them so it's an interesting question well, any thanks, closing brother. advice no, for young leaders no, okay. thank you hey thank